0: You're listening to a sermon from Lakeview Baptist Church. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Thank you, praise team. and Josh. And uh, I heard uh, Teal and Laura rehearsing, and I thought that's worth coming to church for right there. If nothing else happened this night, that would be worth being in God's house uh, to listen to beautiful ladies share the gifts that the Lord's given them for his praise and glory. Um, uh, Just a little bit of backstory before we start tonight. Um, I don't know what day it was, Aaron, Wednesday, whatever. We were in the workroom and he asked me, so what are you going to preach on Sunday night? And I said, "Uh, the value of suffering. And his eyes did like this, and I said, what are you preaching? He said, Psalm 88, and I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. That being said, I don't know what 2023 holds for you individually or us corporately, but I do know this, that the church has a responsibility to view suffering with the right attitude and the right thinking. Uh, It is not something that uh, obviously we would relish or cherish, but I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is, if not the primary, one of the primary sanctifying tools in the hand of the Lord to conform us to the image of Jesus. So I want to speak to you tonight about the value of suffering. Uh, There are parts of this sermon that hearken back 21 years and seven months ago to the day, on July the 8th, 2001, I preached a sermon called Saints and Suffering, and um, I found my notes today. I just happened to be looking through the thing, and it was on top, on top of that, and there it is. As you can see on a legal pad, meticulously written out by my hand, and tonight I am preaching from an iPad. So things have changed. I don't know if the iPad is going to work, so we may end up hearing the same sermon they did 21 years ago. There's a difference, though, in this man from 21 years and eight months or seven months ago and now. And that is much of the truth that I spoke that day, I have now experienced. And there's a difference between knowledge about and knowledge of. And so, my brothers and sisters, we need to have knowledge about so that when the crucible comes and it becomes knowledge of, we do not shipwreck our faith. We do not lose hope. If you'll look with me in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 tonight, this is sort of our home base. Anytime you have a topical sermon, uh, or at least for me, I'm all over the place, but this is going to be home base. Romans 5 verses 3 through 5, this is the value of suffering. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, you have to be careful when you're talking about suffering. Some people don't want to hear it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to contemplate what that might mean in my life individually. I'll just kind of go on my merry way, and um, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know about it. Then there are others who, uh, like some sects within Islam, Uh, seek to, uh, I think, win God's favor and through pride and different things uh, approach life with a stoicism, which is sort of a philosophy that Greeks came up with where if you're in pain or you're enduring some hardship, uh, you don't become emotional about it and you don't acknowledge it, you just press on. And so those those are the two extremes, if you will. I think Oswald Chambers, though, in his quote, has a good balance. He said, No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. That should be our attitude as well. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of an overview, I think, of of, uh, suffering, and then we're going to talk about some principles, I think, and some truths that I've learned to be true in my pilgrimage with the Lord And I believe they are, um, hopefully will be of some value to you as time goes on. Uh, I mentioned earlier, suffering I think is God's great tool of of sanctification. But its definition, now this is my definition, it's a hybrid. But to me, uh, suffering is to be affected by or subject to any loss, be it body, soul, or spirit. To be affected by or subject to any loss, be it body, soul, or spirit. Uh, Aaron this morning mentioned just some of the ways that that people suffer. And quite frankly, church, this is for you. This is for the church tonight. This is not necessarily an evangelistic message by any means. Uh, But when our time comes, will God be glorified? That is the question. Whatever our loss might be. So we have a definition. What's its source? Well, the source of all suffering is sin. If you want to see the first suffering, you go back to Genesis three and the fall, and what happened? Well, Adam and Eve lost paradise. they lost fellowship with God, and uh, their suffering uh, came after that as well. Women were cursed with the the pain of childbirth uh, men were you know were supposed to toil the earth and it's thorns and thistles and things like that so That's its source. But now I want us to talk about and concentrate on tonight the means of suffering. Uh, How is it expressed? How does it come about in in our lives? And then what is the value of it? Now, you've got to think with me for just a minute. What we're talking about here is that suffering has value. That is so contra-world thinking and worldview that they would think us... uh, crazy for even saying that, that suffering uh, has value. In fact, agnostics and atheists will use suffering as an argument against God and his existence, that if the God was good, this wouldn't happen, that wouldn't happen, and so forth and so on. But here's what we've got to remember. God is sovereign over everything. Aaron, I think, spoke to that this morning. He's sovereign over all these things, That means that in his sovereign purposes, he will use suffering, whatever it means, he will use that to sanctify us. He will use that to conform us to the image of Jesus. And is not our Savior a suffering Savior? I remember when I first started in ministry, I thought, man, you know, I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to be the miracle worker, the great teacher, the this, the that, you know, the guy that fed 5,000. And then I got to thinking about it. Wait a minute. He was the man who was forsaken by his family. The the men that he poured his life into, one of them betrayed him. Uh, You know, he said, I don't have a place to lay my head even. And then I thought, well, do I want to be conformed to that image as well? Question You might want to ask. So, what are the means of suffering? The first one is self inflicted suffering. Now, we have many examples of self inflicted suffering in the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I think probably the, the one that we most recall and wherever is, is King David. Uh, King David suffered the consequences of his sin. Uh, when he was not where he was supposed to be, his armies were out on the, in the battlefield, and he was back, you know, hanging around on top of his, you know, his uh, abode there, and that's when he saw Bathsheba, and we know what happened after that. And there were a number of consequences that came about because of his sin, and it affected other people as well. But if you read Psalm 51, you'll see how it affected David. You'll see how he suffered. Uh, He suffered body, soul, and spirit. You know, because I'm a tripartite person, uh, I believe that we're body, soul, and spirit. That's one of the ways we're made in God's image. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. But what affects me physically is going to affect me emotionally. And what affects me emotionally sometimes can affect me physically. I had a good friend of mine that. His girlfriend broke up with him in college, and I didn't see him for like six months, and then he came to a football game where I was coaching. I didn't recognize him. His clothes were literally hanging off of him. He'd lost 35 pounds. He just quit eating. He was so emotionally crushed by the end of this relationship that he just he almost wasted away. He weighed 185 pounds, played football for Ole Miss, and he looked like... Uh, You know, he hadn't, I mean, like a street person. So what affected him emotionally affected him physically. So all these things are are together, if you will. So we know that David experienced the consequences and the suffering because of his sin. It was self-inflicted. But the value was, as we know, that he, by faith, forsook his sin, he forsook his sin, and he repented. So there is value, even when we do dumb things, when we do sinful things, God can redeem that and bring out of that something good. For David, it was repentance. It was confession. It was his ability then to move back into full fellowship with God. Hebrews 5.8 says this, Although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Now, brothers and sisters, if the Son of God had to learn obedience through suffering, how do we think we should somehow not be under the same obligation, if you will? Here's what Peter wrote. Peter knows about suffering, but here's what he wrote in his first letter. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 2. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So often the mistakes we make, the sins that we commit, the things that we do that offend God and hurt others, they can be redeemed if we forsake them, if we repent, and we remember the pain that we experience and the pain perhaps we inflicted on others and it reminds us that His way is the best way. That the things that He reveals to us in Scripture are indeed the, the paths that we should follow and not our own ideas about how life should go. So, the value is of self-inflicted suffering. We learn to forsake sin and repent, and we learn obedience. If Jesus learned obedience, we learn obedience, for sure, if we're smart. And we learn that his ways are best and not mine. We begin to decentralize self and he remains enthroned in our life. So self-inflicted suffering, it has value. The second thing that I want us to look at is others' inflicted suffering. This is when other people's sin or other people's selfishness or other people's mistakes, uh, we experience the fallout in our lives. Matthew 8, 21, 22 says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, see, Peter thought he was being pretty gracious here. Uh, in, in the Old Testament times, Jews felt like, you know, if you, you were wronged by someone, if you forgave him three times, you were really generous and a good person and so here's Peter saying well you know am I supposed to be forgiven for seven times that they may have offended me or hurt me or caused me to suffer and Jesus says no 70 times seven the point being as the wellspring of his forgiveness has no bottom if we want to be conformed to his image then so should the wellspring of forgiveness in us be likewise so the value of Others' inflicted suffering is faith to forgive others' sin and to restore. Restoration is the key. Now, obviously, there's no greater example of others' inflicted suffering than the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sinless, who did not deserve the punishment that he suffered on our behalf. So there is no greater example than that. And what were his, some of his last words? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That's forgiveness. That's Christ-like, unconditional forgiveness. Have you been wronged by someone? Has someone caused you to suffer in some way? Have you been abused? Have, uh, what, what, what What's happened? And, you know, we won't go into the, the benefits of uh, forgiveness and other ways, but I'll tell you this, if you, if you, if you don't forgive, if you carry unforgiveness around in you, it is a cancer to the soul. It will kill you as surely as a bullet to the head. So the Lord Jesus not only spoke and taught this, but then he was our example. And we know of others that that express this kind of forgiveness. I don't know if you've heard the story of Charlotte Evans. She was a single mother, had uh, two sons, lived in sort of a sketchy neighborhood. And uh, there'd been some drive-by shootings, some gang violence in her neighborhood, different things had gone on. And she arrived home late one night with a young teenage girl And her two sons in her car, her two sons were asleep in the back seat. and She thought, well, this, uh, you know, they're asleep. I'm going to take this girl in, this young girl that's with us, get her to safety. Then I'll come back and get my sons. And while she was inside, in a case of mistaken identity, a gang came by and they filled her car with 21 bullets, killing her three-year-old son, Kaysen. Raymond Johnson was tried, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison, no parole. Now in our hearts we say, good, justice was served, justice was done. But let me tell you what Charletta did. 17 years later, with her surviving son, in 2012, what she had already done in her heart, she decided to make Raymond Johnson know. She went face to face with him in the prison, and she said, I forgave him and accepted him as my son. He had no parents, and now he's taken the place of my son, whose life he, didn't, he took. She said, I didn't want him to suffer anymore. She bids him twice a week and sends money for his basic needs. That is the value of suffering. Do you see, it comes down to our response, does it not? If it's self-inflicted suffering, and we're suffering the consequences, we have the choice of repentance or not. If it's others inflicted, we have the opportunity to respond with forgiveness as Christ did. And you see the pattern here, in all these things, As we respond rightly, we are being conformed into the very image of Jesus. We make him real in a dark world. When she told Raymond that she forgave him, they said he clutched his chest and dissolved in weeping. He said, I messed up. And he did. And his sin cost her the life of her three-year-old boy. But she forgave him. You see, this is supernatural stuff here, right? This is beyond us. And that's why, if you're not walking with Christ now, in the bright sunlight, or perhaps on the summit of some peak, when the valley comes, or when the shadowlands come upon you, Are you going to be ready spiritually to bear up? And what we learn here in this value is that we learn dependence. Charlotte, I don't think, could manufacture true forgiveness without Christ in her heart. We can't do those sorts of, uh, we can't live those supernatural ways uh, without depending upon him to give us the grace to do it. It's uh, his love, not ours, that matters. And we've got to let that be fleshed out in our lives. So when we learn obedience from self-inflicted suffering and we realize it's his ways and not ours, when we see suffering because of others' sin and we see the value of forgiving them and restoring them, we learn that it's his love, not ours, that matters. The last source that I'm going to talk about tonight of our afflictions and suffering is Satan. Now, I'm not a person who believes in in, uh, demons behind every bush, but all you've got to do is read the book of Job. And you read there in the first chapters, uh, Job 1, particularly verses 12 through 21, where you have an interview with the devil. He has an audience before the Lord, and he asks, if you will, for permission to afflict Job. Now, the purpose for Satan is that he thinks that if I can make this guy suffer enough, he will recant his faith. He will turn from the Lord. He will do what Job's wife encouraged him to do, curse God and die. And so who gets the the victory there? Satan does. But here's Job's response in chapter 2, verse 10. Just after his wife has encouraged him to curse God and die, he said, shall we actually accept good from God but not accept adversity? Here's a man who indeed was righteous and blameless. He had walked with God before the crucible came And then when it came, as difficult, as painful, as awful as it was, he did not shipwreck his faith. We see a similar occurrence in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Good old Peter. You know, he was always saying he was going to do this and he was going to do that. And it never kind of worked out like he thought it was going to work out. But here's what Jesus said to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is... um, a remarkable statement by the Lord Jesus, if you think about it. He's, he's basically saying, look, he's going to have his way with you. He's going to come after you. And we really know how that ended up being expressed, do we not? It's when you know, Peter denied Christ three times. Within earshot of Jesus and also within eyesight of Jesus. But here's the thing. The value of this kind of suffering, again, if we respond rightly, is that we learn by faith to fight and redeem the victory that Jesus has won for us. I'm convinced that there's a correlation between the desire of a follower of Christ to go deeper and deeper with him in intimacy and true knowledge of him and the amount of suffering that you might face. I believe there's a correlation. The godliest people I've ever known and met have been the people who have suffered the most. Now, I don't know if that's a, you know an absolute you know, wall like the law of gravity or something like that. But I tell you what, anecdotally, that's what I've seen. Probably of all the people that have influenced my my prayer life, Peter Lord would be uh, at the top of that list. Peter Lord was the pastor of um, First Baptist Church, I think, Titusville, or a Baptist church in Titusville. And I started listening to his tapes when I was still a coach at Auburn. And uh, I still use his book, The 29:59 Plan, uh, to organize my prayer life. And I did not know, though, the other things that happened to him in his life. Uh, his, one of his sons was involved uh, heavily in drugs. Lots of different things happened to him that he suffered. But I remember the first time I ever saw him live and in person, it was Whitesburg Baptist Church in Huntsville. And when he walked on the stage, I began to weep. I have no explanation for that except that this man was clothed in Christ. And it was because of the things I think he had suffered. They had driven him to the place of prayer that Aaron talked about this morning. To the place of intimacy. I heard a man say one time, Suffering is an invitation from Jesus to get to know him better. Will you accept his invitation? Now the pitfall is this, when these things happen, in your emotional state, there are those questions, there are those laments, there is that mourning, there is that grief that so consumes you that you think God has abandoned you, he has forsaken you, he has forgotten you, but the only one he ever did that to was the Lord Jesus So here's what you have to say, like Casey and Robert said when their two and a half year old daughter died and her playing in her bedroom. God is good, God is sovereign. God is good, and God is sovereign. God is good, and God is sovereign. They would say it over and over again to people that came to visit, to themselves God is sovereign, and God is good. In all of these circumstances, all these means, God sovereignly allows these things to unfold in your life for the purpose of conforming you to Christ, for the purpose of you knowing Him in a more deep and intimate fashion. I would not want to go through what I've lived through the last 21 years and 7 months since I last preached a sermon like this. I wouldn't want to go through any of that again. But I wouldn't trade any of it for anything. Because I know him in ways now that I would have never known him. Had not some affliction, some loss, some form of suffering come upon me. Romans 8.28 says this. We know that God causes all things. All things to work together for good to those who love God. You'll notice the verse does not say, we know that God causes all things to work together for good because they are good. No, he says all things work together for good. Cancer is not good. The death of a grandchild is not good. I'm finding out that growing old is not good. Uh, In fact, it bothers me a lot. But we have to remember we have a sovereign God, a good God, that causes all things to work together for good, even the difficulties, even the trials, even the, the griefs. For good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Another Oswald Chambers quote that I love that really speaks to this is, our prayers, thinking about this in Psalm 88 this morning, but he says, our prayers are not heard because we are in earnest, not because we suffer, but because Jesus suffered. That's why our prayers are heard. Sometimes those prayers are not answered in the time or in the way or in the fashion that we desire. But will you say, God is sovereign, God is good. And so, when these things come about, when the Lord allows our own mistakes, the mistakes of others or even the attacks of the enemy, when he allows those things in our life, the values are for us to grow in knowledge and understanding of him. And we can redeem those things. I told Casey, one of the first things I could think of to tell her after Jane died was, there is a redemptive purpose in Jane's only living 890 days. I had no idea what that was. And to be truthful, it was sort of a vain attempt on my part to bring her some consolation. I'm not even sure I really believed it, but I kept saying it. And out of that redemptive purpose has come a devotional book, a children's book, and a move to the Middle East. So, the value to, to receive by faith, the ability to fight and redeem, that's what they have lived out. They've redeemed the death of their daughter, and they're using it now for God's glory. And so, what do we learn? We learn transcendence. I know that's uh, maybe a silent, kind of a big word. But what it means is we transcend this. We go beyond this. We're able to go overcome this. Our God is a transcendent God. He has no boundaries or limits. And look, he doesn't want us to be bound or limited by this world or anything in it. And so we learn transcendence. That's what Charlotta learned. Transcendence. That's what we need to learn. And so what we learn here is that it's his power and not ours. But will you tap into that? Will you turn to that? Will you receive that? As Job put it, you know, shall we accept just only good from the Lord and not affliction? Thanks for worshiping with us. And in 1 Peter 3:14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. I'm, I'm thinking the days are coming, church, where we are going to be tested. I'm talking about the North American church because every other church on planet Earth is already being tested. Our day's coming. Maybe that's why both Aaron and I were tasked by the Holy Spirit to preach these things, to get us ready. I don't know. John 13:36 Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, where are you going?" And Jesus answered, "Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later." Church Will we be called to follow soon as our forefathers in the church did in the first century? Could very well be. And when it comes, what will your response be? Will you become better or bitter? It's going to be your option to choose and he'll give you the grace to be better. Suffering only perfects one type of person, the one who accepts the call of God in Christ. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ and suffering comes, your crucible comes, and it may not just be one, it may be a string of them, what will it look like? Well, tonight, here's what I'm asking you to do in preparation. And it's not me. This is the scripture. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. By this, I mean you are willing to surrender everything right now and put it on the altar, and he's, uh, you, you'll, you'll accept what he consumes on that altar or what he returns to you from that altar, just like Abraham and Isaac. He first moved in my heart to do that in 1998, and I I promise you, when I prayed that prayer of absolute surrender, it was with fear and trembling, because I knew what this might mean, and in many ways, it has come to pass. But I'm a rookie when it comes to, to suffering. I've seen it. I've seen it physically. I've seen it emotionally. I've seen it spiritually. There are things I've seen on mission trips that I've never, ever shared with you. I'm not sure I ever will. But I have seen suffering. And still I say, He is sovereign and He is good. He is sovereign and He is good. Are you willing to learn the value of suffering? Perhaps that's the decision for you to make tonight. You know, that's a stake you need to drive down, no matter what happens. And the call he has on your life might require much of you or little of you. But what he wants to know is, are you willing? And are you willing to be made willing for his glory? Ultimately, that is what it's about. Job glorified God. Jesus glorified the Father. Will you glorify him if and when, more than likely when the crucible comes? Let's pray. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we wanna start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.